0: Let's get into bird podcast, Podcast, bird
1: podcast, we got a new intro song, we got a new intro song, why don't you sing along, sing along to our new intro song. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that happened.
0: Yeah, that happened. I guess we got a new intro song, we didn't even know it, but now we got it. (laughs) Yep, that's not our new
1: intro song. New intro song, this time only. This time only, one time. So, Mo, we are doing another awesome interview today. Shout out to all the people that want to talk to us. Yeah. (laughs) Including Stephanie Seymour. Who we're interviewing. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Stephanie? So
0: Stephanie reached out to us back in December about an album that she had released about birds and we were like, this sounds like something we should talk about on the podcast because... We like listening to music, and we like birds, and it turns out that's exactly what this album was designed to be about—was an album for people who like birds, inspired by birds, and it's just a lot of birds and music. And it's amazing. Stephanie Seymour began playing drums at the age of fifteen, and by twenty-three, her band, the Aquanets, had released an album and toured the United States. Maybe we should have started a band. Coochie and conk? <laughs> what was it? <laughs> Coochie and uh, circadian rhythm? Or <laughs> I can't even. remember. I can't
1: remember. We can't start a band,
0: though. Nah, poops. She went on to become a lead singer and songwriter for the band Birdie, which, oddly, was before she was a bird watcher, and she released two CDs before the band broke up. Fast forward to 2004, when Stephanie became hooked on birds. Stephanie lives on an awesome migratory flyway in the Ramapo Mountains in Ringwood, New Jersey, and after only five and a half years of living there, she has seen 139 bird species in her yard, and she's become an avid hawk watcher. Her favorite bird is the Blue Jay because, in her words, it is a total badass and incredibly beautiful. Music took a back seat to birdwatching until early 2018 when Stephanie realized she needed to combine her love of birds with her love of music, and thus her album There Are Birds was born. Her goal was to combine her two great passions in life, music and birds. Her bird-themed rock and roll slash pop album was released a few months ago, and we're really excited to talk to her about it. Welcome to Birdship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. <laughs> so spike to be here. <laughs> I know. We we're so excited when you reached out to us about your album and everything.
2: I'm totally stoked. I'm very excited for this one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> cool. Okay, well, Stephanie, so you reached out to us about this awesome new album that you had released called There Are Birds, and when you were writing this email, you were talking to us a little bit about it. It's an album that brings together your musical talents and your love of birds. Can you tell us a little bit about this album and what inspired you to write it, and a little bit about how your musical background came into play, and also how you became a birder? Like, There's just like so much packed into this new album that you released.
2: There's a lot in question number one,
0: people. <laughs> we lay it on real thick at the beginning.
2: <laughs> exactly. How the hell did we all come together? Well, I so I'll tell you about like my musical background first, since that, that would make the most sense, and then how I got into birds and everything, and how the record came about. I started playing drums when I was about 15 years old, and by I guess it was probably around 1989, I joined a band called the Aquanetas and I was the drummer for them. We got signed pretty much right after I joined them. which So I like to take credit for that. <laughs> so. <laughs> so we made a record. We toured the States. We got dropped. We got signed again. We made an EP for someone else. So it was like this whole kind of cycle of touring and making records and stuff. And um, we kind of fizzled out around 1994 or so. And then I joined a band called Psychic Penguin, which, by the way, this is before I was a bird watcher. So Psychic Penguin was like the mid-90s, I guess. That is when I started singing more rather than just playing drums. I was playing percussion and singing kind of like four-part harmony with people. That fizzled out and I started to my I started my own band called Birdie, which again before I was a bird watcher. That was when I started really singing lead. I wrote all the songs for that band and we had a couple CDs out. And around the end of that band, was when I moved to Englewood when we got my husband and I got married. That was about 2004. And that's when I started getting into birds because I saw the Audubon Christmas bird count online. I randomly just like, oh, I'm going to go count birds, you know, in my neighborhood. Like I knew what I was doing. <laughs>
0: It's, yeah, it's such a confusing count to start with too, because it's not as simple as just yeah. counting birds. It's like here's your designated circle, and here's what you do, and you gotta yeah. There's a lot to it.
2: But not only that, like I didn't even know that. I just went out. I I thought it was like a thing that you just did by yourself. So I went out by myself, totally not connected to any count or anything. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and with like the cheapest pair of binoculars you could ever find, and I was. I was looking at all the birds and I'm like, I cannot even ID a house sparrow. And that, and that really pissed me off because I knew they were really obvious and common, but I just couldn't ID it. I literally bought a Peterson guide the next day and went out and ID'd the house sparrow. And that was my spark bird, the house sparrow. That's so crazy. <laughs> so basically I started getting like more and more into birding and Less and less into music. And o- really only because, you know, it's hard to go out till 2 a.m. and then get up at 6 a.m. to go bird watching. It's just one of those things. And for a long time, I just didn't do any music. But a few years ago, uh, it's kind of sad, but an, a bandmate of mine passed mm. away. And there was a tribute show for him at Webster Hall that my old band, Psychic Penguin, wanted me to, to sort of sing and, put, you know, do the tribute to me. So I did that and I slowly started getting back into music and singing back up for people. I never really expected ever, ever to do another album. So the beauty of it is that I was kind of just sitting on my couch in 2018, very beginning of 2018, and the lyrics and a melody for Ruby Crown Kinglet came into my head. And I swear within about 45 minutes or so, everything just came to me. Like I, I felt like I had the melody, all the lyrics, and I was just like, holy shit. I am making a record about birds and I, I really I screamed down to my husband down in the basement like we're making a record about birds <laughs> <laughs> right then and there and I knew like the whole thing came to me really fast like I wanted to, to you know, have every song named after a bird and I knew I wanted to be like a rock and roll pop record it's like an ode to birds but it's really a, yeah, I mean it's about me it's like their songs are real songs when people hear oh, you did a bird record. They're thinking like floofy kind of, you know, maybe bird sound, but it's not. It's like a rock and roll record, you know?
0: Absolutely. And you said it was completed in just a few months. Like that seems so fast.
2: The songs were written in a few months and and that's still pretty fast for songs to be written, but it wasn't the whole recording process. The whole thing took about maybe, uh, I don't know, 11 or 12 months from like the conception of the idea to have a CD in hand, which is quick, but yeah, the songs really felt like they were being sort of transmitted to me. Like it was weird. It was like I was pulling them out of the air and they, if I, I didn't belabor them, if they came to me, then I knew the song was right. If I was struggling with it, I just trashed it. Like a few songs, like American Robin, that never made it. It's
0: already a rock and Robin song. It's all right. Yeah. Fuck that. <laughs> we're good with the Robins.
2: Don't <laughs> so need it. So, so there are a few that were just like, well, I was struggling and I, I just, you know, couldn't do it. So for making the actual recordings, though, what we did first was make demos so that we could give the demos to the band. And that's where Bob, my husband, Bob Perry, who's an amazing guitar player, he produced the whole thing. He um, co-mixed it with me. He engineered it. Basically, I I don't play anything, right? I play drums. I can't like play him, you know, what's in my head. So I'd have to sing everything to him. It was a pain painstaking process sometimes, <laughs> and there were some, there were some arguments, <laughs> but uh, we really put a lot of work into the demos. I played drums for the demos, you know, since I hadn't played in years, I wanted to make sure I got somebody who really knew what they were doing <laughs> again. So Bob really just like sort of compiled everything, and we made the demos, gave them to the band, and then we recorded for real. So we had a whole weekend here in our in our home studio where we did all the basic tracks, which is bass and drums, with an amazing drummer named Sim Kane, an amazing bass player named Ray Nissen. And then we just started overdubbing everything at our leisure. But like I said, it's our home studios. I was cracking the whip. I'm like, we're doing this. We're just, <laughs> just head down. We're doing it, you know? I'm so psyched about all the players on my record. They're wonderful. And they're really like the best caliber people I could ever have imagined, you know, like I have Charlie Giordano from the E Street band who's on a few songs and whoa, Tim Kane, who is a wonderful drummer, but he's really well known for being in Henry Browns' band. There's just a lot of great people on the record and that's how it all came together. So yeah, I cracked the whip and it, it was done within a wow. year.
1: <laughs> that's awesome. So it's, this was obviously a labor of love. And all of your songs on this album tell a story and bring life to the birds you mention. One song, House Sparrow, which we've kind of talked about a little, does a (laughs) wonderful job connecting us to this bird, which we don't often idealize in the birding world. Like you said, it's just a house sparrow. Can you tell us about the house sparrow in the song you wrote?
2: That birdie was rescued by Bob when he was mowing the lawn. And uh, she really, she was nearly dead. I know, it was like so sad. So we took her inside and put her in a little box, and I gave her some food and water, although she didn't really eat. She was kind of just stunned and sitting there. I did name her Emily because, P.S., I have to name everything, just so you know.
0: <laughs> yep. Everything gets <laughs> totally a name. Get it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and I was sitting there with her, and I, I, I kind of left her alone for here and there, but I just did sort of sit next to her, and I sung to her for like a couple hours. She did recover, and it was funny because we were trying to get her like to fly out the window, but she wouldn't do it, so Bob grabbed like a broomstick and kind of got her onto it, and we just extended the stick out the window, and she was looking back. And she—I swear—she looked back, and she was like, "Thank you." And then she just flew to another oh. group of house sparrows. Wow, oh, we saved yeah. her! <laughs> oh, Emily, Emily. Oh. I mean, I'm not gonna let a house sparrow die, even though she is a house sparrow, you know. Yeah, I
1: love that story. That is super sweet. or your more like upbeat I feel like songs but yes. some of your songs are also very poignant like the common loon did any of the songs that the birds sing themselves such as the common loon which is known for its very melancholy call inspire the tone in which you wrote
2: I mean, I think it's pretty interesting that you picked that song because that is literally the one song that I felt like the haunting call of the loon, like encapsulated the whole sentiment of that song. That song is very, very loosely based on my family in Northern Maine. My great grandma, she had 10 kids and they were living up in uh, Aroostook County and actually a lot of family still lives up there. You know, it's rough up there. I mean, and I always think about what it was like in the late 1800s and the early 1900s, like 10 kids, you're on a farm, there's like one outhouse.
0: That's my nightmare. (laughs) You've just described my nightmare.
2: You're like on a potato farm and you have, you know, one outhouse with 10 kids. And so, I I mean, I just think, you know, they were a tough family, you know, like that's tough stock up there. I think about kind of how hard it must have been in a way too. So I wanted that whole song to be represented by the loon. It is a bird that I hear when I go up there on the lakes and I, you know, it's a common bird up there. And although that ends impossible murder, that song that did not happen. That is just made up (laughs) artistic license. (laughs) But I did really want to go super dark on that song, you know? And I just thought that the loon, even though I just mentioned that bird just only in the chorus and I just talk about hearing the call, it just sort of encapsulates that song. And Charlie played a wicked accordion on that song. I told him I wanted it to sound drunk and I wanted it to sound like some crazy shit from a Tom Waits record. And I think he totally nailed it. (laughs) Yes.
0: It did. Also, Stephen King is from Maine, so that's like good vibes there. Uh, I know. Mm
2: -hmm. One of my favorite writers, yeah. So good. to get me I'm giving you warning his voice was unsteady but so reassuring the bat by the bed or a gun to the head either way
0: We've talked about the house bear, we've talked about the common loom, but you also have the bald eagle, you've got the yellow-headed blackbird, you've got the blue jay. So you have all these birds, but which song on the album is your favorite, if you had to pick? Or can you not pick? There's too many.
2: I can pick like a few that it really sort of stand out to me, and and why, I guess, they stand out to me. So very which is the first song on the record, that makes me so happy, because it's sort of a story about being in one of my favorite places, which is my old local nature center, Flat Rock row and I really did just sit there with that Veery. I would sit down and it would come right up to my feet and I would talk to it. I didn't name that one though. Isn't that weird? I didn't name that Very. What's wrong I with me?
1: I feel like Viri is a name within yeah. itself.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> just a cheery name. It theory. is.
2: I think you're right. I know Yeah, so that, that makes that's just a nice, sweet memory, that, that whole song for me. And, you know, another song that I love on the record is Northern Mockingbird. And the weird thing about that one is it almost never made it on the record because we had 11 demos down. And when I told you that was a painstaking process, it really was. And I was like, no, we're not making another, we're not making 12. That is not happening. But it like just wouldn't get out of my head. And I had to write it. And, I, and I'm so glad I did because it really did turn into one of my favorite ones on the record. But I guess if there was like w- my most proud moment on that record is is Northern Lapwing. I think. I really just wanted something that was, <laughs> to be honest, I had a, the Carpenters in mind when I wrote that song. I just wanted something with like really lush orchestration. I heard the horn parts, like I heard everything to a T. And I was like, if I can get that out of my head and... On wax, as the kids say. <laughs> if I can get that onto wax, I know it would be a special song. And I am so thankful to Ray Nissen, who's like I told you, he was my he's my bass player on the record, but he also did all the string instrumentation. He you no know, he wrote out all the horn parts. He's an amazing composer. So it, I, that song to me, it turned out better than I even hoped. Wow,
0: was. that's so cool.
2: And I just want to say one thing, because you did mention Black throated Blue yeah. Warbler. And I want to give a shout out to Megan Massa, who did the artwork for the, um, for the, for the album. album. Yeah. Oh, cool. She did the artwork for the 2019 Bird of the Year for the ABA, the Red Bill Tropic Bird. And so I, was, I feel just like very fortunate that she said yes. Megan said yes. <laughs> she did the album cover. Way to go, Megan. <laughs> and she was inspired by Black throated Blue Warbler to come up with that wonderful, wonderful cover.
1: Yeah, It's beautiful. You rock, girl. So we're going to shift a little bit from the music and talk about birds. Your yard is a registered Hamana H-M-A-N-A, H-M-A-N-A <laughs> site, which stands for Hawk Migration Association of North America. So this is like a Hawk Watch site, though it's a private site, not open to the public. People can't come over here. But can you tell us about it?
2: I would say, first of all, if you ever told me that I would be a hawk watcher, even just a, like maybe five years ago, I would say, you're crazy. I was never really into hawks that much. I mean, I love them and everything, but it was, I really just like, I'm so into warblers and stuff, you know, Passerines. I hear you. Yeah. But when I moved to Ringwood, New Jersey, I realized really fast that I was on a migratory flyaway. And I usually take six weeks off from work in spring and fall migration. So when I do that, all I do is watch birds. So I sit outside on the deck and I've watched them fly overhead so I got into hawk watching that way I started just noticing them and trying to I mean I really did probably suck so bad at first trying to ID what hawks are I mean, it's so hard to ID mm-hmm. hawks when you're first trying but I went to hawk watches with other people and learned so much from it. that's what if I can stress something like if you find people that are better bird watchers than you go with them Because I've learned so much from so many people and I can't even thank them enough, you know?
0: Yeah, definitely.
2: Yeah, it's just like, thank God for people in that way. Yeah, definitely. Like Sarah (laughs) and I,
0: we wouldn't have seen our prothonatory warbler if we hadn't been with a guy who knew the call because we would have been like, oh, well, just keep walking through. Like he's not here. And then he was like, no, 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 he's here. And we're like, oh, well, okay, cool. (laughs) Totally. You need those people.
2: You need those people. And I also got a great um couple field guides and i just i really just studied and studied and felt like i was at a point a few years ago where i was good enough to really be calling the id's correctly and i mean like everyone's human if i can't id it it goes down as like you know unknown raptor or unknown accipiter kind of thing like that but i guess it was last year or a year and a half ago that my friend said "Oh, why don't you you know Send an email to Hamana. I'll say I say Hamana. You say Hamana. I don't really. Hamana, Hamana. I send an email to them, and they were like, "Yeah, you know, we have some sites that are just private hawk watches." And I input some older data also from 2018, and and I just started counting live last year, 2019. It was so awesome to like have the data be part of us, you know, the larger picture. I do eBird, and I have done it since 2004 and i also think that's an amazing thing to have mm-hmm. your data just be part of citizen science kind of thing
0: so you you're recording the data specifically for hamana hamana <laughs>
2: <laughs> potato patata yeah i i am although i also input it into cool. ebird and it's for my own checklist too yeah oh well,
0: yeah you got to you got to get those checklists
2: yeah 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 cool <laughs>
0: how big is your yard
2: we have about an acre a little over nice. an acre but I'm surrounded by woods. I mean, there, I have neighbors on either side, but I am surrounded by woods and I have a really good view of, of the sky so I can see them coming pretty far away. That's awesome. <laughs> but I also have a great yard for passerine. I, I have um, 139 species in my yard that- Woo! In, in my yard right now. They're there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Jealous.
2: But I've seen 139 species, so I'm kind of like wondering what 140 will be. And I hope I get it this migration.
1: Are there (laughs) any birds that are your favorite that visit throughout the year?
2: Yes. I love seeing tufted tit mice because Aww. they remind me of my cat, Emmy, because they have the same coloring. And I used to tell her, I swear, I used to tell her, you look like a tufted tit mouse, same color. So I feel like she's visiting me whenever Aww. I see a tufted tit mouse. <laughs> we have a Carolina pair that, that I named Linus and Carol. Of course, I told you I named everything. And also my red tail pair, Sparky and Sparkette.
0: <laughs> How do you spell Sparquette? <laughs> I just have to know.
2: S-P-A-R-K-E-T. T T E it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I think the most wacko bird that I just could not believe like the most wanted bird was a pileated woodpecker when I moved here. And I was like, oh my god, they really are here. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's so awesome. Yeah, we even found their nest hole one year. We could see it from our from our window way, way down in the woods. It was totally lucky. I just saw it fly in there and then I we saw it like taking wood chips out. It was you know, making a hole in there. It was so cool.
0: Oh, that's awesome.
2: And then it would sit and you could see its little head sticking out, like (laughs) obviously sitting on a nest, you know? (laughs) Aw,
0: so cute. Yeah. Well, I know you talked a lot about migration and obviously being a hawk watch site is super cool. On your album, There Are Birds, the last song is called "Migration Is Over," which is a really humorous song. We really enjoy it about the number of birders versus <laughs> birds during spring migration viewing. Yeah. Thinking about that, like what what other kinds of favorite birding ventures do you have, whether they're crowded or not crowded?
2: Yeah, yes, that song is is from taken from a real day in Central Park, which is one of my favorite places to go. But it was like the late tail end of May, and there was you know it was like eighty degrees and. I was like, oh, there's. I just looked up. and I was like, there are just no birds around. There's like seven thousand <laughs> birds, you know. <laughs> we're just gonna not find yeah. anything, you know, except for a robin. So I guess I've, I have a couple favorite moments that I can sort of recall bird watching. But one of my absolute favorites was when I was at Flat Rock Brook again, my favorite old local haunt. It was when I was early in my life list, kind of easy to get like birds here and there. So. I went up there one day and I heard a call that I was not familiar with and I looked up and there was a rose-breasted grosbeak and I was just like, what? Like that can exist? You know, like the yeah. pink and the, it just, I couldn't believe it. I was so stoked. That just made my week and I kept going down the path and I came around the corner and I was looking at the brook and flying to and from the brook and then bathing in it was a, a male scarlet tanager. And I was just like, another life bird. I was like, Oh, I can't, I can't even like too much color for one day, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like overload. So that was one of my favorite, favorite, favorite moments. Oh, wow. Ever. That is
0: so cool. Yeah. Scarlet Tanager yeah. is pretty high on my list of birds to see, but ugh, someday.
2: Oh, you haven't seen yeah. one? You will. You'll see it this spring. I bet up in Maine. Fingers crossed. I mean, I also love just going to bird festivals. I hate to fly, but I make myself do it every few years. It's like Monterey Birding Festival. One of the best Times there was going on Debbie Shearwater's pelagic trip Ooh. and seeing like black-footed albatross and stuff like that. Oh, dude, that you know? sounds so
0: cool. That's cool.
2: Just her alone, that was so yeah. cool. She, you know, just to see Debbie, but to have her expertise and Rio Grande Valley Birding Festival, we did that a couple years ago. And actually, that's why I wrote Yellow-headed Blackbird on the record. I was I got that lifer down there, and that was I was like a nemesis bird. I was like I couldn't get it, you know, and <laughs> I finally finally got up. And we've been to like Acadia Birding Festival.
0: Yes, very interested. Acadia is the reason I moved to Maine. So I'm super excited for that festival.
2: Oh, it's such a good one. I actually want to come back up. There. I will let you know Please if I do. do. I, and also we took our own trip to Southeast Arizona and and sort of went out with like a guide one day and we went with an Audubon Society. The other. you know, just to have people take us around to place out. That, that was one of my favorite trips ever. I mean, if you can get to Southeast Arizona, it's I can't even describe it, it, how wonderful and how diverse and how many birds you can see there. It's just, it's fabulous. Wow.
0: Sounds real nice right now. I know. Southeast Arizona. I think I could live there permanently forever.
2: (laughs) I know. I could. I keep, I always look at real estate down there because I'm like, maybe one day, you know?
0: Yeah, for sure.
2: It's just hard to pick one moment, you know, one favorite moment. I mean, almost every bird I have a story for, you know?
0: Yeah. I don't know what's cool about birding is that such a fleeting moment can be so monumental. Like you just can remember it, even though it was just like a split second. It's like, oh yeah, I remember the first time I saw that bird. Or like, oh yeah, I remember being with these other birders and like experiencing this together.
2: That's right. I, mean, I was going through my eBird list just yesterday or, or the day before, and I, I every I kept getting hung up on every bird because I was like, oh, I remember that. I remember that. And it was just like, yeah, five hundred and twelve times <laughs> for sure. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I had um when I well Alyssa, you know, we had we had talked about Alyssa a little bit and when I was in Canada seeing her for Thanksgiving and we went out birding together which was great, it was a ton of fun, but I I didn't know it at the time, but I had food poisoning and so all I can remember about getting my long-eared owl was that I threw up in my car on the way. <gasps> It's like, well, I'm never going to get seeing that bird because I left it all over the inside of my car. So,
2: like a pellet, like you exactly.
0: just—I was just going to say exactly. that. What mm-hmm. is clean? Oh my god! I know it was so funny because, like, we saw it and, like, I was like oh that owl's really cool but like i really gotta go back to the car right now and she's like well oh, i'm just gonna stay and take a picture i was like that's cool that's cool i will be in the car whenever you're ready to go <laughs> so that's horrible i know it's horrible but it's like oh long-eared owl never gonna forget that story
2: but you know it's like when people go on pelagics and they get sick oh. i think that's like that's just like it's terrible too so true chum,
0: chum. <laughs> Yeah, that should be what we call birders who end up getting sick on pelagic. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, uh, Birding chum.
1: Yeah, it's like your pal. This is my chum. Yeah. right? Yeah. a birding chum.
2: This is old vomit mm-hmm. over here. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Stephanie, we have loved this album, but as always, music is very interpretive. But we'd like to know, what do you hope the takeaway message is from your album, or how do you want people to connect to it when they listen?
2: Ah. Uh. I, you know, it sounds like trite, but I I just want people to be happy when they hear it. I mean, I hope it inspires people to, to want to go outside and maybe not, not even just see birds, but just to be in nature, you know, just be around (laughs) a happy place. Just notice what's around you. You know, like when I started getting into birds, it, it blew my mind that this stuff was just around me and I had no idea. And also, for me personally, like I have really bad anxiety. I, um, sometimes I go through waves of depression and stuff, and it never fails to help me when I just go outside. I think that people could benefit in their daily lives, not even if you're fine, like and don't have anxiety and depression. You know, like
0: <laughs> nothing's wrong with being more happy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right. I mean, seriously, it's not something that uh, that people are going to have a bad time doing. So I, I think that. You know, I just want people to to sort of feel the joy that I feel when they hear the songs. It, it really is a sort of an ode to nature and birds.
0: Yeah, I mean, and listening to the album, you can definitely feel that energy on some of those songs.
2: I really am glad about that. I mean, something that I never really thought about that I hadn't really expressed before was that when I discovered birding, I knew I found something that I could literally do for the rest of my life. You know, I had music and I had that. And I always have that and I love it and I'm passionate about it. But, you know, the dream of being a rock star, you know, when you're 25 is one thing, but when you're not 25 <laughs> anymore, you know, <laughs> and when you get older and it, and I had made peace with that, like that was fine. But when birding grabbed me like it did, I just felt like I had that missing part again, mm-hmm. you know, like I just could do something for the rest of my life. You know, I can be 90 years old and be a bird watcher still and have that happiness and joy. Yeah it kind of gives me peace to know that.
0: Yeah, that's really true. Like no matter where you are physically and no matter what your age, like you can see birds yeah. and take that in. Well, thanks so much for talking with us, Stephanie. Yeah.
2: Thank you. I know I'm so psyched. I love your podcast and I'm so happy to be a guest. You, you really made my whole week. Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Yay.
1: We're so happy you wanted to come on. This is awesome. Your music is amazing and your love Thank of birds you, and your passion for it is awesome. And that's what we're yeah. all about.
2: And your passion for birds totally comes through every episode too. And you're, you guys are so great together. I just adore Aww. you.
1: I you hear that, Mo. I guess we got to stay friends, I guess.
0: I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> well, keep us posted on what that uh, 140th species is going to be coming through your yard
1: yeah
2: I will I will and you tell me what you guys see
1: it's literally blue jays house sparrows and a couple red tails that's it right now
0: right now that's, yeah, that's it. it's all right I mean two of those birds are on the album so I think Stephanie's a fan
1: yeah there we go <laughs> <laughs> That was awesome. We just had Stephanie Seymour on, and we interviewed her about her new album, There Are birds, and she was a delight to talk to.
0: So much fun. And I'm totally taking her up on sitting on her porch watching Hawks someday.
1: Yes, I love Hawks. I want to drink tea. I want to hang out with her with our bins. That's it.
0: Sounds like the perfect migration recipe.
1: If any of you are interested in listening to her music, which we highly, highly encourage, you can check out her website, therearebirds.com.
0: That's the ere version of there.
1: Yes, not the <laughs> two other versions. Yes, yeah, like not yeah. there. Physically, there are birds. Right there. Yep, we'll have the link to there are birds in the episode description. So we highly encourage you guys to go check out this very rocky pop happy album that we enjoy. Absolutely,
0: and you can always find Birdshit Podcast on Instagram as well at Birdshit Podcast, and we're also on Twitter at Birdshit Pod. And I don't know, we have a website and we have a
1: podcast, so. We don't have a website.
0: I guess we don't,
1: right? We have email at hellobirdshit at gmail.com.
0: See, I just don't understand technology, but you're right, we have email.
1: It's okay, I've had two people call our podcast a blog, so.
0: (laughs) Were they both your mom?
1: Uh, One was my mom and one was my friend's mom, so. (laughs) Thanks, moms, find us on the blog. Yep, (laughs) getting back into my Zanga. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yes. Uh, Listen to our Zanga. It's great.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm so glad you could not record audio on Zanga. That would have been bad. Oh,
0: right? Yeah, it would have been like a real emo MySpace.
1: Oh, yeah. It would have been very cryptic emo about the guy I currently had a crush on.
0: Oh, dude. I learned about this thing. I have to talk about this thing. I was hanging out with some friends, and at their college, they had this thing called the Last Chance Dance, which was... Somehow, somebody got, like, access to, like, all the seniors' email list. It was a pretty small college, like, 500 people in the graduating class. And everyone got this Google form that basically said, like, who are the five people that you wish you would have hooked up with in college that you didn't? And that all gets into this, like, single aggregate database. And there's, like, one one or two people who basically, like, pairs up. Like, if you're on this person's list and they're on your list, like, they tell you that? And then at the last chance dance, you... Basically, like, no, like, oh, this person wants to hook up with me, and I want to hook up with them, and it's kind of like your last chance dance. Dude, that's like the original Tinder. It's like the original everything. <laughs> Dude,
1: that's awesome.
0: What I said was, I wonder what would happen if, I mean, first of all, if University of Michigan had one of that, it would just be an orgy. I didn't know anyone's names. I couldn't even remember five guys that I would have wanted to hook up in college. And every guy I met that
1: I wanted to hook up with, I did hook up with. So there was like- Boom! Yeah, you did! No, it's because I had one, (laughs) low standards, and two, I was not shy. I was just like, do you want to make out with me? And you also
0: had a roommate that was kind enough to like, you know, not have a life, so she was never home.
1: No, wait, you had
0: a life, so you were never home. Well- I was faking my life. But also, I had a very short list, apparently, of zero people, so you win the college game.
1: I know one person that you did not hook up with that you wanted to.
0: Who? Should... I can't say. Was... Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes, I yeah, I really did. <laughs>
1: yeah. I was like, I was like, I was just going to say. Yeah, there is definitely a guy in your list.
0: Yeah, there was. There are probably other guys, too. I don't know if I remember their names, though. <laughs> I know. It would have just been, like, guy in chem class. <laughs> yeah. And then the, his would have been, like, girl in chem class, and I'd been like, oh, shit. Oh, shit, it's me. These two people.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it would have definitely not been us.
0: No, not been us. No. Yeah, so I just, I was like, that would be a really funny game to play at, like, your 10-year reunion, like, high school reunion, because, like, the 10 years that have no. passed between the people that you thought you wished you would have hooked up with in high school, like, would no, be so a funny. No, that's a
1: terrible game to play. That is a terrible game to play. I'm into terrible games. You're into ruining people's lives. Yeah.
0: <laughs> How did you know?
1: (laughs) Because you know, like Tiffany and Brad who wanted to hook up and then they both find out they still want to hook up. Tiffany's leaving Steve for Brad. Brad's leaving Rachel for Tiffany.
0: You have very elaborate storyline. I literally just came up with the whitest names ever. Yeah, that's
1: true. And Mo would just be watching it all eating her fucking herb popcorn like.
0: (laughs) Check it out. I know. What can I say? I like just watching things go up in flames (laughs) like my life like other people's lives anyway now that we've talked about all that stuff thank you for listening to birdship podcast and tune in two weeks from now when we'll list another episode for you to listen to
1: again special thank you for stephanie to reaching out to get on the podcast we were really really happy to talk to her and go listen to her album there are birds you'll love it and in the meantime keep your eyes to the skies